Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So I'm wondering if um, this is an idea that you're familiar with. I'm banking that it is, but I think it's prevalent in our culture, and it's this. If I'm a good person, then I'll be able to go to heaven. If I'm a good person, then I'm right with God. If I'm a good person, then life is going to go well for me. Does that sound familiar? I think that idea does run in our culture, runs in in, in our thinking, in our philosophy as as a nation, as a people, right? And I'm I'm curious if, if you even kind of reflect on your own life where you see like, yeah, yeah, either I know I think that, and you're kind of like, what's wrong with that? Or you're maybe like, oh yeah, and I, I see people talking about it, I see them say things that like, yes, if I'm a good person, then I get to go to heaven. I, I think that idea definitely runs through our culture, and I think it runs through our thinking as well. Like, if I'm a good person, then I'll go to heaven. If I'm a good person, I'm right with God you know what's probably coming. is like, okay, he's going to tell me that that's not quite right. And it's not, right? There's something amiss in that. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to open that question up. What makes us right with God? We're going to explore and see that it, there's some nuance to that, that maybe we get right, but a lot that maybe we miss. And, and I want to contend with you. If you, you already know, like, oh, I know the right answer in all of this, let me offer that there might be more for us to to discover in all of this. So we're in a series looking at the parables. And these are teachings that Jesus offers throughout his ministry. It's not just Jesus. There are a number of other teachers who do throughout history. It's a common technique. But Jesus is the most famous for it because he was such a master with these things. So parables, these are stories, illustrations, images, or analogies that are meant to provoke a response. He doesn't just tell us a cute little story. It's like, oh, that's kind of clever, cool. Like, no, he's telling a story to do something. He's telling us a story to provoke some response in us, whether it's like, okay, I understand about a farmer, but what do you mean, Jesus? And there is the invitation to step in. That's what Jesus is doing with these parables. So we're studying these teachings of Jesus. And and so so far we've gone through three weeks, and in the first week, Jake, one of our elders, got up and he shared about the lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And you're probably familiar with the prodigal son. Well, what we see in this parable, these series of parables, is that God has a heart for the lost, for those who don't know him. And we're to have that same kind of heart. Well, then the second week, Kirk got up and, and he shared from the parable of the vineyard workers, where this landowner comes in and says, hey, I need a bunch of guys to come in and work for me. And he does that throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, they're all coming to get paid, and they all get paid the same amount of money for different amounts of work. And these guys are like, wait, like, how, how's that fair? Like, that's not the way things go. And what Jesus is doing is showing that God's economy, the way things work with him, it's not about fairness. Because if, if we got what we deserved, we would realize that we don't have enough. But God gives graciously and generously. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that's the way that God works. That's the way his kingdom is. And then last week, Dave, another one of our elders, got up and talked about counting the cost. See, following Jesus should be top priority. He should be number one in our lives. And if he's not, we're not going to be able to follow him the way that we're meant to 
And so we're to, we're to put him in number one, and we need to count the cost. We need to measure that and understand what we're saying yes to. Because when we do, we realize that even though we're paying a lot, we get so much more back. And so that's what Jesus is doing by teaching us these parables. They are stories primarily to elicit a response from us. And he's using them to teach about the values of the kingdom. See, God cares about the lost. He gives grace. We've got to count the cost. These are all kingdom values, the way life works in his kingdom. Well, today we're going to continue with another parable, and I'm going to use quotes because you're going to look at it. It's like, is this really a parable? But hopefully you'll see a little bit of what Jesus is doing with it. But we're looking at another parable where he's going to show us the answer to the question, how do we get right with God? How are we right with God? And, And I'll clue you in. It's not because of our goodness, not because of the good things that we do. Now, you may already know the answer to that question. But I want to ask you then the second question. Are you operating according to that right answer? I mean, if you know the right answer, you know it's Jesus, okay. You know the answer, but are you operating according to that? The parable is going to challenge us. His teaching, what he's going to share with us today, is going to challenge us to dig deeper into all of that. So I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. If you're kind of getting used to your Bible, so there's two big sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mark is one of the Gospels. It's on the front end of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark. So that's where we're going. Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 23. So the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So, verse 5. So, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So, pause there. So what we get here are the Pharisees, the common uh, character in the gospel stories who, who are often challenging Jesus. And so Mark tells us these Pharisees, they came from Jerusalem. And he tells us to, you know, tell us historically, like they came from Jerusalem. But he's also cluing us into something here because Jerusalem represented something. Jer- Jerusalem represented the primary like religious center for all of life in Israel. And that brought with it a particular philosophy, a particular understanding about how they were to carry out their life and their faith. So coming from Jerusalem, we get these guys who come in and see Jesus' disciples. They're doing something a little different. They're eating with what was called defiled hands. They don't wash their hands. Now, Mark helps us out here by giving us a bit of explanation. He comes in and says, okay, like, this was a tradition in, according to the elders that, that they were to wash their hands ceremonially 
before they eat anything. Now notice, ceremonially. What, what Mark is helping us see is that this is a ceremonial thing. It's not so much a hygiene thing. Like if your hands are dirty and got mud on them, you're going to clean them off. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. He's talking about a ceremonial washing. And he highlights when they go to the marketplace. They go shopping, they get food. They, they come back and they're going to wash their hands from being in the marketplace. And see, so what, what Mark is wanting us to see is there is now a rising tension of philosophy here. He's wanting us to see that there's something more going on than just like, okay, we, we, we've got a practice issue here. Like there's more going on than, than what we might see at first. Because he uses this language of defiled hands. So what are we talking about? What's all this washing stuff all about? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a concept, kind of this concept of clean and unclean, pure and impure. And, and it permeated some of the thought process in, in the Old Testament. And so what people were to do is they were, if they were to approach God, they were to come offer a sacrifice, or if they were to be able to have access to him at the tabernacle, they needed to be clean. And, and not like physically clean, like dirt or anything like that. No, we're talking, again, ceremonial cleanliness. See, sin, the things we do wrong, makes us unclean. But so do other things, too. Some of this uncleanness, like we're not supposed to touch dead bodies because that's associated with death and God is about life. So we want to be separate from that. So it's this kind of thing where we're, if we're to approach God, we've got to be in a clean state. Now again, our sin, the things we do wrong can make us unclean, but other things can too. So unclean does not always equal wrong or improper. But, but what, what we see here is this idea of cleanliness and there's only two places in the Old Testament where it talks about washing. The priests, before they were to serve in the tabernacle or temple, were to clean themselves. That was a, a requirement. They had to do that. The other place is this mention of like dead bodies or, or blood. If you touch something like that, then you are unclean. You've got to wash. Those are the only two places. But the Pharisees, the Israelites, the people that as they're trying to understand the law, developed this approach where we all probably want to be like the priests. We all want to be clean. How do we do that? We should start washing our hands all the time. We, we should start washing our hands before we eat anything because there's clean and unclean foods. Like, oh, okay, we've, we've got to make sure that we don't pollute our bodies. So we're going to start doing it this way. And, and what happened was over time, developed an expanded version of what it means to wash, to be clean. That's what the Pharisees are referring to here. The tradition of the elders had developed over the last several hundred years where it's like, we've got to do it this way. And one thing in particular I want to highlight. In a couple hundred years before Jesus showed up, there was an increasing connection or, or interaction with Gentiles. Is that better? There we go. I don't know what I did, but hopefully nothing wrong there. Keep batteries ready if you wouldn't mind, Jason. So um, where, where I left off was, um, so cleanliness, like as time developed, they, they were increasing their interaction with Gentiles. And they saw Gentiles as polluted, as impure. And so if you start interacting with Gentiles, then there's likely you are becoming unclean too. So what they would do is when they go to the marketplace, they'd be interacting with Gentiles like, mm, I'm going to wash my hands 
I'm going to wash my hands of all the filth that I might have interacted with. That is the thinking that developed. So by the time we get here with Jesus and the Pharisees, a tradition had developed where it's like we've got to wash all the time. Otherwise, we might be unclean. And that's what the Pharisees are seeing the disciples who haven't washed their hands. Oh, they're probably unclean. They're defiled. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. And so they come to Jesus. Why aren't they washing their hands? Or more, we'll come back to to verse 5. I want to throw this up on the screen. Why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders? And that's what it's really about. See, it's not about like really like, oh, we, we want them to be clean, like don't have dirt. You're just like, no, 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 live the right kind of way, our way. Don't be polluted by those Gentiles. Don't, don't become unclean. You've got to do it in the right way. Live according to the tradition of the elders. Why aren't they doing that? That's the question. And, and what we see here is a, it's a mindset, a philosophy, a framework that says, I've got to do it the right kind of way. Because if I don't, then I'm not going to be right with God. I've got to do the right things, otherwise I'll be denied access to him. That's what's going on here. So notice, this is the question that's behind the question. When they ask, like, hey, why aren't they washing their hands? They're really asking, like, they're not in good graces with God right now, are they? That is what they're going after. So notice, what is Jesus going to say in response? Pick up reading in verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people... They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now he's going to offer an example. So verse 9. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help them, their father or mother, is Corban, that is, devoted to God. And then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Verse 13, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like this. So pause there. Here's Jesus' response to their question. Like, they're not living according to the tradition of the elders. And he's coming in and saying, oh, you're missing the point. And he quotes from Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, who, who is several hundred years before, is, is evaluating what's going on in Israel and saying, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're not following me. Jesus is coming in and saying, that's you. Pharisees, you are honoring the Lord with your lips, but your hearts, they're far from him. And he cites this example. 
And it's this word Corbin. It's actually a Greek word that we've transliterated into, into English. And what this was all about was that people would sometimes, they'd make vows. It's like all the stuff that I have, my land, my house, the, the resources, all of that belongs to the Lord. It is Corbin. Well, what would happen is that someone who did that could not share their land, their resources, their house. Like it belonged to the Lord, but it only went to the Lord upon their death. So they could continue using it themselves. So their lands, like, yeah, I can keep cultivating crops. I can keep doing that for me, but I can't give away any of the money because that belongs to the Lord. So you imagine somebody who comes in and has done that, and their parents, they're ailing. Their health is deteriorating. They need help. Oh, sorry, I can't help you. I've declared all my stuff Corbin. And here, Jesus says, by your tradition, by this vow that you make, you're missing the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. This is what God cares about. He cares about people. He wants you to love people well. And you're not taking care of your own parents because you have to follow this law, this rule. Oh, all my stuff's Corbin. I mean, you can see how that can be abused and leveraged against people. And this, this is what Jesus wants to highlight. He's coming in and he's attacking their view of Scripture and the perspective they have of how we follow God. It's not about keeping the rules because you can use the rules to hurt other people. You can use the rules to your own advantage. He's coming in and saying, no, 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 no. That is not how this works. You don't come in and decide, here's what we're going to do because I want to follow the rules and I'm checking all the boxes and completely miss the heart or the point. That's what Jesus is going after. Their way of following the Lord was rule keeping, was keeping a list and checking the boxes And he's coming and saying, that's not going to be foolproof. That's not going to get you to the finish line. You can miss it. That's what Jesus wants us to see. He's wanting them to see, like, you're, you're missing the point. By your rules, you're nullifying what God is actually intending. This was their pattern. This was their philosophy. This was their framework. And we can do the same thing, too. See, what they were doing was they were rule-keeping. They were doing all these good things. They were checking the boxes. We can do that too. We come to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. We go to to small group or Bible study. We've learned the right kinds of things to say. We've learned the the right kinds of people to hang out with. We know the right kinds of things that we're supposed to think about and, and, and put in our lives. We know the right way to vote. All of these things, we know the right thing. And we can do all the right things, and we can miss the point. See, it's not about checking boxes. It's not about, like, here, I'm going to do all the rules just the right way. It's not what it's about. Because there's something deeper going on. If we're just checking boxes, if we're just rule-keeping, there's actually a different way that's playing out. And I think it comes in two forms. And these are related to one of their cousins. So the first one is this, self-determination. I decide. I want to decide what's good. I want to decide like how things go. Like I'm good if I do these things. And we want to decide. 
That's what the Pharisees were doing. Sure, they were deriving, it's like we want to follow the Lord, but like we're deciding here's what it looks like. In our human wisdom and our, our strength and our understanding, like here's what it looks like for us to do the right thing, to do the good thing. I'm deciding. Or maybe the, the cousin to this is control. See, the Pharisees, they probably like, no, 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 I'm not deciding. I'm looking at the law. I'm doing what God is asking me to do. I'm searching the scriptures. I, I know what I'm supposed to do because I read it. But still, they're operating out of control. I'm the one who's doing it. I know what the right things are. I know how to keep the, the ledger. Like, I can build the resume. I know what to do. I know what to do. I'm going to do it. And then see, I'm going to come to God. Look, I kept it. I did it. I kept the law. I did what you expected. It's control. That's what's going on here. The way that we tend to operate as human beings is we want to decide. We want to like, be able to say, here's what's good and, and set the parameters. And we want to be able to control it. We want to be able to manufacture. We want to be able to say, this, this is how it works. That's what's going on here. It's about self-determination. It's about control. It's about me being good. Me making the path forward. We do that too. Even as Christians, as people who, who want to follow Jesus, we can slip into this pattern too. We want to control if I go to church, if I read my Bible, oh, I did it all seven days this week, like check that box. I'm going to Bible study, I'm in the right small group, like I'm checking the boxes, therefore, if I do this, then. That is the thinking Jesus is attacking here. It doesn't work like that. He's coming in to say, this is not how things work. We're not to use control. We're not to use self-determination. That is not how it works. And he summarizes all of this in the next two verses, which is where we finally get our parable of sorts. So verses 14 and 15. Again, Jesus called to the crowd and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. This is important. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. See, what Jesus is saying here is it's not the external things, not food, it's not washing our hands and all this stuff that pollutes us. And he's going to explain this a little bit more detail in just a moment, but he's like, all these external things, that's not what it is. It's what comes out of us. So what's coming out of our mouths, the, the words that we speak, the things that we do, that, that's what defiles us. So the bottom line, the summary I think that Jesus is pointing to is this. External things do not make us right or wrong with God. External things around us, what's out here, does not make us right or wrong with God. We operate like that's true, though. If I do this, then this. If I just check all these boxes, or if I have more good than bad, then. Jesus is coming in and saying, no. He obliterates that thinking. That is not the way the kingdom works. 
That's not what life in my kingdom looks like. So that begs the question, what is? What is it that we ultimately can point to? Like, how do we get right with God? What is it that that leads us forward? Like, if it's not doing more good than bad or, or checking all the boxes, like, what is it? The disciples asked this question too. So let's keep reading. Verse 17. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. See there? It's a parable. It's an image. He's using this illustration. And here's what he says. Are you so dull? Now we might interpret this as like an insult, like, oh, he's, he's putting them down. Like More to say like, ah, you don't have understanding yet. He's calling attention. It's like, hey, there's more for you to see here. So open your eyes. Sharpen yourself. Be ready. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared that all foods are clean. So pause there for a second. So what he's saying here is like, let's take this analogy of food. Here's our parable. Food goes into your body, but it goes to your stomach. And it goes out of your body. And what Jesus is saying here that the NIV kind of smooths over and makes softer, he's like, goes out of your body into the toilet. He's talking about poop here. He's like, this is, this is what it is. So any kids in the room, like Jesus does talk about poop. You can tell your parents that, right? Okay? Just file that away, right? Okay. So anyway, that's what he's saying here. Like the literal word here is toilet. All of this goes into the toilet. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything. It goes into our mouths, into our stomachs, and out of the body. It doesn't touch your heart. So all of this external stuff doesn't do the work you think it is. He's saying that these these things that are outside of us, they can't affect our status, our standing with God. So here's an implication, and this might be sobering. We can do all the right things and still not be right with God. We can do all of the right things. We can check all the boxes. We can wash our hands every time and still not be right with God. The external things go into our stomach. They pass through our body. They do not touch our heart. And that's what Jesus wants to highlight He wants us to see that all these things that we might do may not do the work that we think they are. These external things are are important, and we're going to come to this in just a minute, but like they don't actually accomplish the goal that we've set for them because they they can be all the right things, but they don't change our status. So what are we to take away from that? Well, let's keep reading. Beginning back at verse 20, we'll finish up this this chunk here together. Verse 20, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside 
and defile a person. What Jesus is pointing to is our heart status. So it's coming from our hearts, from the the heart the mouth speaks. Like what's coming from that? That is what defiles you. That's what makes you wrong in God's sight. This is where the crux of the issue is. So what he wants to say is what comes out of the heart is what makes us not right with God. That's what's coming out. That's the problem. And so right here, we're feeling it. Like the stuff that's in here, like that's what's coming out and that's what's the problem. Ooh. I want you to notice something though. I mean, he gives this long list of different things, but he summarizes it all. It's like all these evil thoughts, they come from the heart. Notice that Jesus, he talks about all the bad stuff, right? Like there's this list of all these things that are wrong. Like he, he's not mentioning any of the good stuff that's coming out. Essentially, what he's saying is like, this, this is not a good scenario. There's, there's almost no good side, no hope. Like, what comes out of the heart is just filth. And so we, we pause and we're like, wait a minute, where's the good side? Like, what do we do about that? I love that Jesus references Isaiah. He quotes from his book. I want to go to another place in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to summarize it for you. We aren't going to read it. But beginning of Isaiah's ministry. So he's a prophet back in Israel at a very dark time. And God calls him to, to serve as a prophet, to speak on his behalf. And, and you get this moment where Isaiah talks about this moment of commissioning. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. And he has a vision. And he's almost taken up to this heavenly throne room in the temple. And he sees God in his glory. And he's looking around. There's spiritual beings, angels, and seraphim all around him. And he steps in and he's like, I do not belong here. I am a man of unclean lips. And one of the seraphim grabs a burning coal, comes to Isaiah, and touches his lips. Sears them. And you know what he says? Your sins have been atoned for. This is a beautiful picture. Like Isaiah now is is being purified and, and commissioned to speak on God's behalf. But your sins have been atoned for. The Pharisees, they had this idea from the Old Testament that if we touch unclean things, we will be made unclean. Like the the filth spreads, the, the, the wrong kinds of things spread. But here, we see the reverse is true. Not only does uncleanness go one way, holiness goes the other. See, what God is doing is purifying Isaiah. He's passing his goodness, his holiness to him. That is what Jesus came to do. He came in to say, like, I, I want to make you right. I am going to bring my goodness, my holiness for your benefit. And that's what he does. He steps onto the scene. He begins to minister. He begins to share. He begins to heal people. And right after our story in chapter 7 in Mark, The disciples and Jesus, they travel and they go meet a Gentile woman, a Greek woman. And she comes pleading, like, would you bring healing in my life? And here is a Gentile woman. She does not fit the box. Come back to the Pharisees, like, no, she's an outsider, right? She's not washing her hands. She's the one who's polluted. She's unclean. She does not belong. What does Jesus do? 
he heals. They even have a conversation about this. Like, you know, what about Jew versus Gentile? And she comes in displaying faith. And he brings healing. Because he doesn't look on the outside. She doesn't check the externals boxes. She's got the heart. And he brings healing into her life. This, this is the picture of what Jesus has come to do. See, he shows up, he comes to bring redemption, to bring fullness of healing and restoration. He comes to bring us new hearts. And Peter, the apostle Peter, when he writes a letter, captures this really well. He's, he's drawing from Isaiah, but in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24, we get him reflecting more on this. And so we get these words. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness, live for purity, live for right standing. By his wounds, we have been healed. It's by what Jesus has done that makes us right with God. It's by his work, by his death, by his resurrection We now are restored. He gives us new hearts. He does work at the heart level. That's what Jesus comes to do. He steps in and brings this kind of redemption. And so now, we can operate in a different kind of way. It's not about externals, but it's about what Jesus does on the inside. There's this illustration that uh, I think is so important for us to kind of capture all of this. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with the Queen Elizabeth, or excuse me, the Queen Mary boat. So um, it was a, a ship that was a cruise ship primarily for the British, British fleet. And uh, this primarily was operating like in the middle part of the 20th century. So it went through World War II and all that kind of stuff. Well, this ship um, was decommissioned, I think, in the 60s. And, and so it had been in service for decades, and, and they finally decided, let's, let's, let's put this to rest. And they turned, wanted to turn it into a museum. And so what they do is they're beginning to renovate and and they're actually taking things out. And one of the things that they did was pulled off the smokestacks, the funnels. And so they're pulling these things off. And and, and what they suddenly realize is as they're in the process of doing, they're putting it on the deck like, and it's collapsing. These things are just, they're falling apart and they're like, what's going on? They, They actually dig into the inside and open it up and find that over the decades, the steel, the the metal on the inside of these smokestacks had begun to deteriorate, to rust and dissolve. And what was left was the shell of paint. The years of just painting this over and over again was all that remained. And so what you saw was this great looking thing on the outside and in the inside was rotting and deteriorating. It can be like that. We can do all the right things on the outside, but on the inside be rotted. But Jesus, what he comes in is he comes into the restoration process. He reforms the steel. He reforms the metal. He comes in and says, let me establish the inside of you. And from that, flow to the outside. That is what Jesus comes to do. So, I want to offer you a few kind of takeaways, a few key points to flesh this out. Like, how then do we operate with this idea? 
Because again, Jesus makes us right with God at the heart level. What does that actually mean? So number one, and this is a key first step, we have to receive Jesus. And we have to receive him as cleanser and restorer. So if you're here today, you might be a follower of Jesus. You've taken that step. But if you haven't, if you're a little unsure, you're not like, I'm still not sure what I think about Jesus. He's stepping in and he wants to say, I want to clean you from the inside out. I want to restore your heart. I want to rebuild you on the inside. That is what he's offering. He's extending that invitation to you today. And you can receive it. Literally, right now, you can say, all right, Jesus, I I want that. I want to go with you. I want to follow you. Help me understand what this means. You can begin the journey with him right now. We have to. Because we need new hearts, and he is the only one that can bring them. So receive Jesus. This is the key first step. And if you haven't taken that step, here's the invitation. Choose to do that today, right now. If you're ready to do that, or for many of us who already have, what then? Because this is not just a one-time thing. I think receiving Jesus is a continual process. And what that looks like is, number two, a change in our operating system. This is kind of the big point that I want to land on. So what, what we operate with often is what we hear from culture. If I do enough good things, that's going to outweigh my bad, then I get to go to heaven. Then I'm in God's good graces. Then I can, I can be right with him. That is not the way that it works. Our operating system says external things, the way that I might measure up. That's what we often put our, our, our lives on. And Jesus wants to come in and say, no, 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 no. It's not through control. It's not through self-determination that we get to the good spot where we need to be. It's not that. It is, it is received from me. So we don't any longer measure the good things on the outside as a way to merit or earn our standing. It is only by surrender, by coming to him and saying, all right, I receive from you my heart my status, who I am. I receive it. That is all that we can do to change our status is simply receive. But what about all the external things? Ah, this is where the good stuff happens. So it is good to come to church. It is good to read our Bibles. It is good to pray. These are all good things to do, not to earn our status, but rather expressions out of our status. The logical flow matters. We are not coming in to say, we're doing all of these good things so that I earn God's favor. We are doing these things because we are spending time with him. It is now who we are. So yes, we come to church, we read the Bible, we go to small group, we do these things as an expression of our status, as an expression of who we are, as an expression of what we have received but we do not measure, we do not earn, we do not manufacture by doing these things. We do them out of love and out of response. So the external things are important, but they do not change our status. And we want to shift our operating system from if I do all the good things, then that is no longer the way that we think. I am already, therefore I go to church. Therefore, I read my Bible. These are the things that flow 
out of our status. That is the change in our operating system. Flow comes from status that we receive to what we do. Inside out. That's the operating system. So, that's number two. Number three leads out of that new operating system. We tend to our hearts. We want to tend to our hearts because what, what happens is once we receive our status, like now we are declared justified. This is who we are. But we've got to grow into that. We call that the fancy theological term sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. It's process. It takes time. And that is what we're called to do. We are called to tend to our hearts. So I'll ask you this question. What's an area of your life you feel like, you know, I'm not aligned with Jesus. I don't look like him in this way. Or I feel tension or brokenness or something isn't quite right. There is where the spirit wants to work. And we tend to that. And we do that not by like, okay, let me go fix it and do all the right things and see, I fixed it. No, 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 we come bringing our brokenness first to him. Lord, I see that I don't use my words in a kind way. Lord, let's work on that. And he begins to work. He changes our hearts. He gives us something that we receive to begin to see the fruit of his labor in our lives. So when we see misalignment, when we see brokenness, when we see sin, we take that to the Lord. We come bearing it to him, not out of shame, but out of earnestness to grow. Tend to your heart by coming to him and working with him to be restored, to be repaired, to be raised up. That is what tending to our hearts looks like. We're not earning our status. We're not earning anything. It's out of our control. We come to him by tending. Here's where I'm broken. Help me, Lord. That is the new operating system. So, bottom line, here's where we're landing today. Jesus makes us right with God at the heart level. He's the one that's doing this work. It's not on our strength. It's not on what we decide. We don't evaluate what is good and right. He does, and he helps us get there. That is what he's trying to show us. So where is that for you? Have you received him? Like, is that a step you've taken? Awesome. If you haven't, today's the day you can do that. If you're not ready, that's okay, because it's part of the process. But if you are, step forward and say, Jesus, make me right. And if you have made that choice, begin to evaluate your life. Reflect, like, all right, where is there misalignment? Where am I still trying to do all the right things to earn? And how do I bring that to him, bring that brokenness? That, that is what he's calling us to do. So Jesus makes us right with God at the heart level.